tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 29. Have you ever wondered if God could use your story? Perhaps you've worried that maybe it's too dark or too sordid, or perhaps like me, you've thought that it's just too boring. (laughs) Well, in today's episode, Ashley Abercrombie talks about her new book, Rise of the Truth Teller, and how God has helped her embrace her story rather than trying to hide it. Rather than pursuing perfection, pretending and performing to seek people's and even God's approval, Ashley welcomes us to discover the truth that she discovered. We don't have to lie to live, for the truth of Jesus Christ really does set us free. I'm so excited to have with me today uh, a new friend we just met just a few (laughs) minutes ago. Ashley Abercrombie has written a beautiful new book called Rise of the Tooth. Oh, dear. (laughs) The Tooth Teller. Tooth Teller is great, too. You know? (laughs) Let's try that again. (laughs) Ashley Abercrombie has written a beautiful book called Rise of the Truth Teller. Own your story, tell it like it is, and live with holy gumption. And I, I just, ha- I wanted to read this little quote that you have on chapter one from Maya Angelou, who says, "There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you." And you talk about the first time that you heard a woman share her story and what it meant to you. Can you can you tell us a little bit about? your process? What's brought you to this book? Yes, I would love to. You know, I didn't realize there were some things that you could talk about and say out loud. So my process for pain was to pretend and perform. And so I like to say that I had a PhD in pretending because I could put a mask on and just pretend like everything was okay, even if I was completely broken down inside. And all of that hits the wall because it'll it'll sustain you and hold you for a while, the mask will, and then suddenly it will crumble. And that was certainly true in my life. And I remember stepping into a faith community for the first time in five or six years. And there was a woman standing on the platform and she was about to preach, which I didn't even know women could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was like revolutionary in my eyes anyway. I thought maybe she was just from the kids ministry or God was about to strike her down. I did not know what was about to happen. (laughs) And not only did she bring this beautiful, powerful message full of theology, but she told her story of abuse and sexual abuse. And she talked about addiction and dysfunctional relationships. And I really felt like she was reading my mail. And I remember that day thinking to myself, wow, if she can share her story so boldly, so unapologetically, maybe there is a place for all of this pain. Maybe there is a place for the story that I have. Maybe there is a place for all the things that I have shoved deep down inside somewhere where I would never have to deal with them again and where nobody would ever have to know about them. And so she gave me the beautiful gift of going second. You know, as she shared her story, I felt empowered to begin to open up about mine. And it was a life changing moment for me. And I think it's 
powerful to own your story. I think it's powerful to understand that we were never created to be perfect and that we all have brokenness, that you will never meet a human being, no matter how far along they are in the faith, who doesn't deal with a character flaw or an issue or a problem or some sense of pain in their life. And so in that way, I felt very free to begin to pursue wholeness over perfection and to begin to understand that I didn't have to pretend and perform, that I did not have to lie to live, but that actually I was I could be empowered by the story that I had and the great saving grace of God. And so that's kind of what brought me to share it, you know? <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, it's so funny because we all say, you know, that Jesus is our savior, but then we're we're weary or wary of actually sharing what he's saved us from. And so I, I think that that's so important. I always think of the story of um, the woman at the well and how that encounter with Jesus set her, set her free from shame. Can you, can you just give us in a nutshell, just um, some of the things that you had kind of shut down? Because I think there are some women out there that maybe don't know that um, God really can take our mess and turn it into a message. Totally. You know, I dealt with eating disorders and abuse of alcohol, drug addiction. And um, in my sophomore year of college, I was sexually assaulted and raped by a guy on campus that I knew. I didn't know him well, but I knew who he was and he knew who I was. And then right before I decided to move my whole life across the country from North Carolina to Los Angeles, I I made the decision to have an abortion. And so when I tell you that I was wearing a mask about a whole lot of things, I really genuinely mean that. And I did not know how to do anything different. I did not know how to have reciprocal relationships. I did not know how to say that I had needs. And so I would mask and cover up or I would play this role of caretaker and savior. And so it really was this process of me recognizing that you know, shame didn't have to be the thing that led me and guilt did not have to be the thing that led me, but actually I could be loved even though I had made mistakes and I could be loved even though things had happened to me. And this kind of process of journeying with God and journeying with others is what led me to a place of forgiveness. And forgiveness, I think is so powerful for us because unforgiveness is rooted in hatred. And if you are bound up by hatred, you know, shame will also be your portion. And so for me, I realized, man, I've made all these vows that are rooted in unforgiveness, that are rooted in hatred, and I can't love myself and I cannot love others. And so I really needed the grace of God to break through that unforgiveness and break through that bitterness and break through that sense of me saving myself (laughs) to recognize, you know, God himself has the power to give me grace to be free from things. And I wish I could say it was like, hey, I followed these six steps and my life was just golden. You know, that has not been my journey. And I actually don't think it's the human story. You know, life is a process. Healing is a process. You know, 16 years of sobriety later, I can tell you that recovery is a lifelong journey. And every day I have to get up and work the steps. And every day I have to get up and trust God. And every day I have to get up and try to do my best to take care of myself and to stay sane and to stay sober and doing that through relationships and doing that through the power of grace and understanding that I'm loved and that I can't fix myself. (laughs) <laughs> that God himself um, is holding me and keeping me and sustaining me that I actually don't have the power to do that, you know, and that's what's so beautiful about grace. <laughs> yeah. What would you say was the first step, that first truth telling step that started the process? 
Yes. Well, in the South where I'm from, you're raised to tell the truth. Like I have a long lineage of old fashioned truth tellers in my family. <laughs> but often what we mean um, by truth telling is that we are telling the truth about other people. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's been this real journey of telling the truth to myself. And I can remember one of the most powerful moments where the Lord really tapped on my heart in a beautiful way and cracked me open. I was driving after um, an event in my college years, and this is in the thick of my addiction, the thick of all the pain, the thick of the heartbreak, the thick of all the disappointment at who I had become and what my life had become. And I was driving, parked in a parking lot, and just like a movie, the sky opened up and it started dumping buckets of rain. And I just began to scream and cry out to God. And my big question was, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Because I just felt like, where, where is he? Like, how is he allowing all these things to happen in my life? How is God good if I'm going through all of these things and just shouting at him, where are you? And it was in that moment of just being honest with God about how much I was scared of him, why he wasn't there, why he wasn't present, why he didn't seem to be doing anything. In that moment of honesty, i felt the Lord's presence in the most powerful way. And He came to me and I experienced Him very tangibly. The love of God, the Spirit of God, the presence and the peace of God filled my heart and filled that car. And in that moment, in that safety of His love and the safety of His presence, I admitted to myself that my life was totally out of control and that I was totally unmanageable. And I asked God for help. I was like, God, I need help. And so for me, that was the very first step was being honest with myself and stepping out of that denial, you know, stepping out of the mask, stop pretending before myself, stop pretending before God that everything was okay because it wasn't. And so it was a while before I began to open up to others about what I was going through. But that was really the honest moment that I had with the presence of God where I could give myself the permission to admit that everything was broken. (laughs) I think that is so huge because until we get to that place, uh, a lot of us just live as victims and it's, it's always looking at what other people are, have done or what circumstances or even what God has allowed. And, and, but to be able to be honest about our own condition, you know, I don't have a broken past. I I often joke, you know, I have no reason for my dysfunctionality. <laughs> it's really discouraging, you know, because it would be kind of nice to share the blame. I so much. <laughs> but for me, it was the same thing of just rather than, because here's the reality. We're all broken people. You right. know, we, we were created for perfection and yet the fall ruined all of that. And so I think as Christians, we secretly believe that, you know, once we meet Jesus, that everything should be perfect and we should never struggle with our attitude. It was a very, very sobering realization that I was still in need of a savior, that I still need Jesus every single day. But for so long, at least in my life, um, I I kind of I I kind of kept trying to do it on my own, yeah. and it wasn't until I came to that same place, Ashley, that same mm. place of absolute desperation, like I am so messed up, God, unless right. you do something, we're in big trouble. It it was that honesty before Him that really set me free. Because otherwise, I was living a lie and I knew it. Yeah. 
And isn't it so powerful? Like, I don't know if you had this experience, but for me, when I made the decision to, to begin to live my life out loud and begin to just own the fact that I'm not perfect, I began to have deeper, richer, more meaningful relationships. And I, through that process, realized what a terrible friend I was because I was always pretending to be perfect. So people mm-hmm. were always bringing me their problems, but I was never able to reciprocate. And so it was always like nobody could ever crack this kind of mask and this kind of hardness and strength that I, that I put on. But when I finally dropped my guard and people realized I had needs just like they had needs, then I began to establish really meaningful relationships and I felt seen and I felt known and I felt like I could see and know others in a really new and powerful way. My judgment was able to be suspended about others too. Cause I think when you're in tune with your own brokenness, then you have a whole lot less margin to judge other people for theirs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, yeah. It just made me better to be around. And um, and I think that, that that's another powerful gift of just owning the fact that we're not perfect. It's like, nobody is. Why are we all out here pretending we're driving ourselves and other people crazy? Yeah. <laughs> do you think, I? this is kind of like a weird question, but do you think that some of that was a little bit of the Southern girl too? I had a friend who told mm-hmm. me, oh, Joanna, you know, I, I was remarking on how how beautiful her skin was. And she goes, well, it's because we sleep on our back with, and we never touch our face. (laughs) When she put the makeup on, it has to say, and, and I know that she came to that place of just of realizing her own brokenness. And it was kind of, kind of hard to own because she had been raised in a culture that, that really, and maybe all of our cultures have that. Maybe that isn't a Southern thing. Maybe that's a human thing. Mm-hmm. I think it is a human thing. And I think it gets emphasized in different ways, whatever your culture is. You know, so for in the South, appearances are a really big deal, right? So like your friend's talking about her face or like making sure your shoes match your purse or, you know, you would never wear white after Labor Day or whatever the rules are, you know? So there's like a certain um, culture image code that everybody adheres to. And then there's also in the South where I'm from, this sort of code of like, we don't talk about our stuff to other people. Like family business is family business. And so you kind of have to put on this mask everywhere else you go because you don't want to be revealing anything about your life or your family or other people who are close to you. But the reality is when we own our own brokenness, then we do have to actually do that. And um, this whole obsession with image too, I think about the digital media age that we're living in, you know, and it would be very tempting of all of us to think that this is kind of a new thing that people are obsessed with image, you know, that like, oh, it's the digital age and everybody has to take 1000 shots before they get their favorite Instagram (laughs) picture and all the things that we see happening now. But the truth is that obsession with image started all the way back in the garden and they made a mistake together. They made this mistake. And then God is sitting in the garden asking them, where are you? And they cover themselves. And so I think that we have to recognize our wrestle with image started from the very beginning. And so it doesn't belong to a generation or a culture or a part of the globe, but it does like belong to humans. We have a desire to be this ideal image rather than 
activate our, our real present reality. And I think reality is a whole lot more difficult than either the ideal, living in the ideal or living in the past. You know, it's really hard to just be present and to be with the people who are in front of you and to put your hand to the thing that's in front of you. It's so much easier to be stuck in the past or so much easier to sort of live up to this ideal you. Um, but it's not satisfying and it doesn't make us feel at home in our body and it doesn't make us feel at home in our relationships. But it's only when we really start to practice the presence and, and live in the moment that we really can encounter true connection and true community. I think that that's so true. You know, I've, I've met several women who have been willing to come to the end of themselves and, mm-hmm. and get real. And it's interesting because almost always they say, I don't know who I am. Mm. And so, so I'm true. wondering if we've gotten so used to wearing the masks, so used to telling our, you know, I, I have this theory, a new theory that we come up with stories, you know, stories about ourselves, stories to explain uh, our decisions, our actions, and we never are really real about what's going on. And then when the mask is either pulled off or we're brave enough to take it off, we don't know really who we are. Did you have any of that in your journey of just kind of trying to figure out, okay, now I'm real, but now what does that mean? Who am I really? Of course. Yes. And I think that there's such a cost to being real. There's such a cost to being who you are. And I'm not talking about being real like, oh, this is just how I am. I'm being real. Because I think that's rude. And we have to find a way to tell the truth candidly and kindly. Like, you know, our words need to be seasoned with grace. (laughs) You know, that's important to this process. But for sure, when I started getting honest, you know, everything started shifting. So my relationships began to change. When I was no longer the caretaker and had a need, I lost relationships because people didn't want me to have a need. They wanted me to take care of them. And then there were other cases where my relationships began to open up, but we didn't know how to relate to each other anymore. It's like, whoa, wait, you have needs. I have needs. Wait, who are you? What's happening? And some days I didn't know who I was. And I just have to let myself fall apart or let myself cry or let myself be angry. And I had to give myself a bit more permission to emote and to be present and to be at home in my body. And so for sure, I went through that process. And I think it's ongoing. I mean, I even think about when I had my first baby and I was watching uh, all of my friends have babies first, for the most part, the ones who were married um, had babies. And we were kind of the last ones to have them. And that felt like an identity crisis, right? So I'm in this whole new season of my life. I'm like, man, I went from talking to adults every day to just staring at this baby all day and breastfeeding. And how do I feel about that? And who am I in this? And so I think it's a constant evolving process. But when I think about what it means to be a disciple, to be a learner and a follower of the way of Jesus, then that means that we are always being changed. And we are always being renewed. And so I think it's just getting comfortable with transition and change because that's very constant in our lives. And if we are not evolving, then we are most likely, most likely not becoming like Jesus. And so it's important that we change and it's important that we grow. And I think to not be so afraid of the unknown, that's the other part of this, right? So when you feel like, I don't know who I am, that feels very unfamiliar, that's like uncharted waters and nobody really likes feeling that. But at the same time, we have to learn to like, okay, yes, this is very scary. The unknown is scary, but I don't have to bow down to that fear. I can just keep pressing into what I don't know yet. 
and I can keep pressing into the person I know I want to be. And even though this feels uncomfortable and even though it feels crazy, and even though my relationships are shaking a bit, and even though I'm not sure who's going to go with me or who's going to come out on the other side of this, I know that I have to press towards wholeness and towards healing and towards becoming like Christ. Um, and so it's, it's an important part of the process, losing your identity. Cause when you lose yourself, you find yourself in Christ. The kingdom That's is so right. backwards. That's so true. <laughs> so true. Well, and I think I love that you bring that up, that it, this is going to be a constant process and to get comfortable with it. You know, yes, I, yes. I, I keep thinking we want to arrive. I don't know about you, but I've always wanted yes, the magic wand. And just, <laughs> I don't want process God. Let's no. do Let's just arrive. Let's just arrive. I see that I have issues. Fix me. You know, totally. And it is this beautiful process that I'm learning to actually appreciate that he is so kind that he takes me at a pace I can go. Mm. And if I'll just make myself available to him, Mm. he wants to constantly be bringing growth and transformation. And I, and it's kind of an adventure because it means I don't have to find myself. Right. I can allow him to reveal what he's always had in mind. Right. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful and minister to my heart. It's really true that the Lord will find you. I, I, I think there's such a confidence in that. Um, because we, we are never lost with God. And even in talking about the garden earlier, you know, God knew where they were, even when he asked them, where are you? Mm-hmm. And so what a powerful thing to know. I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm stressed. I'm worried. I feel concerned. God, I'm anxious. And that he's like, I know, and I'm with you and I'm here and you're found. And I think that's, that's really, that's such a ministry to our souls to know that about God. What a great confidence we have. <laughs> It's so true. You know, you were talking about, you know, the influencer space and, and um, I was listening to your podcast, Why Though? You guys have to go check that out. Uh, Ashley and her friend do such an amazing job uh, with it. But, you know, I think it's so funny because in some ways in being real, mm-hmm. we almost trade it for a, another mask of you know, I'm so real deal deal with my real and rather than letting it really be an outflow of our walk with the Lord, it's, what would you say to women who are like, okay, I, I've let the Lord deal with my stuff, but, um, but I don't know. I don't know how to navigate the next part. How do I become what he intends me to be? Hmm. What a beautiful question. Again, I don't think this is an easy answer or an easy solution to this, but one of the things that I try to do in my life, like as a daily habitual practice is to manage my expectations. And here's what I mean by that is that I have stopped determining what all the standards are. And I have stopped determining, you know, all the goals and all the things and all this and that and the other, because I realized many times with my sort of personality, I could be trying to create myself in my own image, if that makes sense. 
mm-hmm. instead of allowing the Lord to shape my life and allowing him to lead me or allowing him to press on something. And sometimes it's very interesting what God will deal with you about in your process of becoming. You know, even at the very beginning of my journey, you would have think the Lord would have asked me to maybe stop doing drugs or stop drinking myself into oblivion, but he didn't. The very first thing he said to me was to stop having sex with my boyfriend. He didn't even tell me to break up with him. He just said to stop having sex with him. And I had 99 issues. Like, why did God pick that one? But he knew for me that if I was to remove that from my from our relationship and if I was to remove that from our experience, then that would stop coloring the way that I saw my boyfriend, that it would begin to give me clarity and soberness of mind. And he was breaking a connection that needed to be broken. And so I think just listening to the Lord has been a really great practice for me instead of hanging expectations over my head. So if I had thought to myself, well, Ashley, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop doing drugs and you need to do this and you need to do that. You need to do this. But instead, I just sort of surrendered and said, God, what do you want to deal with Mm. in my life, Lord, so that I can take steps towards freedom, so that I can take steps towards knowing you, so that I can become more like you? And that is the thing that he told me. And so I think it's really appropriate in every season of our life and in our season of becoming more like Jesus that we really are listening. I mean, God could whisper something small to you that could shift your whole outlook. And he could whisper something very tiny that could shift your whole day and could change the atmosphere in your home. And so I think it's important for each of us to really listen to the Lord instead of, you know, um, what I call shooting all over yourself, <laughs> you know, what you should be doing and should, should do this, should do that, should do this. What is God's standard for you? Because I don't think a loving father would lay out 25 things for you to do. Because that's not loving and that's leading with guilt and it's leading with control. And the Lord has given us freedom and he lets us choose. He gives us free will and he leads with love. So the Lord's going to give you something that you can actually do because he's a good father. (laughs) I think just listening, you know. That's it. And when we let him do that, when, when he is the one who puts his finger on it, I found, I found when I just simply say, yes, he releases the grace to do it. Where if I'm coming up with all my hundred of things that Joanna really needs to shape up with, it's all self-motivated. It's all has to be self done. And, and (laughs) I don't do very well. And so Me neither. I feel I, you. <laughs> I love that advice. But I want to drill down on that because there's some girls going, well, yeah, that makes sense. But I don't hear God. What do you mean? Ask God. What do you mean hear God, what God says? Can you unpack what that looks like for you? Yes, I'd love to. I think it's really important to say that we all hear God very differently and we all have different pathways to God. And so for me, I don't hear the audible voice of God. And in fact, I don't meet very many people who say that that's their experience. So for me, I have sort of a sense inside of me, a knowing, maybe an instinct or like a, um, a leading is what it feels like of what might be the right next step for me. And then my process for checking God, is this the right next step is I, I go to scripture, um, And sometimes there's no real clear answer. Like nowhere in the Bible did it say, hey, Ashley, stop sleeping with your boyfriend. Like that wasn't a clear instruction in scripture, but I could go to scripture and look at what would make me feel the most connected to God. And when I see that, you know, um, binding myself to him, understanding God's word, understanding my value begins to reshape and reform my mind. So scripture is a really important part of my process. And the other part is my community of people. 
is an important part of my process in a way that I hear God, because I'll run things by them and I will talk to them like, Hey, this is kind of, this is the inkling that's inside of me. This is the direction Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about going is that, and here's what I thought about when I read it in this passage in scripture sort of spoke to me about this issue. Is that ringing true for you? Do you see this in my life? Do you think this is a crazy decision? And just beginning to open up and ask that way. I think that sometimes in our uh, experience with faith, we can become such individuals And I read this the other day, but we're not free agents. You know, God is, Mm. we're part of a community. And so community helps us hear God. It helps us understand God. It helps us understand scripture. And so being um, connected to other believers or other people can really be a help to you in your journey of hearing God. And then I would say um, there are a few other pathways that I think are important, like serving others is a way that I hear God. Mm. So I notice in seasons of my life where God feels very silent, I'm like, oh, but I I don't have an outlet for serving. And it's a way that I hear God. And so if I don't have a place to serve, I'm not able to hear God as clearly. Solitude is quite important for us to actually take the time to be quiet, to have no noise, to not, you know, have anything going on, but just five minutes of just sitting and being and listening. You know, fasting can be a beautiful way that you hear God. Um, Prayer is another way to hear God. Worship is another way to hear God. So I think that we all have different ways that we're able to hear and understand God. Um, But for me, it's a leading of the Spirit, guiding by the Scripture, and affirmation from community. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I would agree. For me, I think that that word inkling, you know, there's just that Mm -hmm. little tap on your shoulder, you know, and usually it's something that you would have never come up with on your own (laughs) and won't go away. And for me, often it's confirmed either, like you say, by community or, or I'll, I'll hear something on the radio or I'll read something in the book. And it's just like the Lord is just so kind to just kind of, um, I don't know, almost like narrow, narrow the focus to where it's like, this is thing. And I love, I love how you said he brought it down to one thing because our flesh makes it many. And, so true. <laughs> and I think the enemy loves it. For for me, I've found too, not only does my flesh want to make me feel guilty about absolutely everything and that, Joanna, you need to do this and this and this, but the enemy wants to also get me so running every which way. Um, yeah. As you were talking about that, I was reminded I had struggled with my weight for years and years and years. And um just felt so guilty and mm. he promises, you know, God, I'm going to be different this year, this Monday, you know, it's this week mm-hmm. and I would fail, you know, and, yeah. and it was so interesting because just out of kind of nowhere, the Lord spoke to my heart about my, my reading addiction. I loved Christian fiction and I'm, mm. you know, I loved, basically I was addicted to the escape and um, the Lord just put his finger on that. And I'm like, really? That's what you want? And I tried to argue with him because I really liked my totally. fiction. And it, I probably you know, have too. Good. It's fine. <laughs> and he's like, no, I want that. And it was mm. so interesting that as I obeyed him there, the grace to do it, the dis- self-discipline and self-control that I had absolutely none with my eating all of a sudden was available for this. And as I obeyed him, it ended up being a year-long fiction fast, which was Mm. remarkable. But in the process, 
I began to have self-control in my eating. And it was interesting. I thought the battle was, was my eating. And God said, no, here, that may be a big chain, a big link in your chain, but Joanna, here's where I want you to obey me. And as I obeyed him there, that bondage to, to eating was also loosened. And so it, I think it's just wisdom to let God set the course rather than trying to figure it out on our own. Yes. I love what you just shared too, because I think in our world today, we are always looking for an escape and don't always connect the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's so powerful that God was able to just put his finger on that. And I can relate to that. There's been seasons where, you know, maybe there were pleasures in my life that aren't necessarily bad, but God is dealing with me about them because they are leading me to do other things. And I think about, um, you know, the apostle Paul who says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial to us, you know? So it's like, ah, but it is, it takes us really leaning in and listening to the Holy spirit to find out God, I know this is permissible. Like I'm not in major trouble for doing this, but like, is this beneficial for my life? Is all this Netflix I love, God, is this benefiting my life? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's so interesting because the Lord, I, I just have a feeling that even right now, He's putting His finger on some things, different things in different hearts. I love yeah. that you brought up that verse, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And then he goes on to say elsewhere, all things are b- permissible, but I will not be mastered by mm. right. And so I think that's the thing, you know, when God does put his finger on it, I've learned that if there's a pushback, that's a place I have got to work through to obedience in. Mm. You say that that has been kind of true in your journey towards freedom of just as you've let God set the pace that how, how were there some pushbacks? How did you get to that place of obedience? I imagine some were easier than others. Yes. Well, I think, you know, um, the reason this is so important is because God knows where each of us are. And some people listening are literally just trying to survive their life. They are literally just trying to survive their day. And then there's others who have a bit more margin so they can make changes very easily. Maybe they have the resources to make changes, or maybe they have the time to make changes. And then there's others who just need some tweaks in order to live at this sort of optimal experience. And so I think I have known all three of those throughout my life and throughout my journey. You know, there's been times um, I think about when we had our first baby. I know I'm referring back to this again. We had our first baby. I had so much margin. We had financial margin. We had a lot of help. My mom lived in the same town as us. She watched our kids several days a week. My job was very, very flexible with me. We both had great salaries. Like it was awesome. We had a home. We had a big backyard. It was beautiful. And then fast forward to um, having my second baby where we don't have any of those things. We have (laughs) very little help with childcare. Our our, um, financial resources have totally changed. And so we have way less margin for me to be able to make sort of optimal living decisions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think each of us have to figure out, okay, God, how can I make a choice here that is... um, honoring to you and honoring to me as a person created in your image? What is going to help me live the life that you created me for? And so I think each of us really do have to lean in and listen to God um, about what those things are. And it's, it's important that we do it. And it's scary to do it. 
but it's important that we do it. And God will give you a way out no matter what your season is. Mm -hmm. You know, he will give you a next step no matter what your season is. So don't feel like if I had more things, I would be able to make better choices, whether it's with my eating or it's with my um, family or it's with my career. If I had more options, God, I would do better. It's like, nope, the Lord knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you have, and he will give you a next step where you are. And I think that's a powerful thing to know about God is he's not expecting you to get it together when you have what you need to get it together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he will help you every bit of the process. <laughs> yeah. And thank goodness for that. Boy, I, I love it. I, I don't know. I just keep going back to that, um, that picture of Jesus as our good, good shepherd and yeah. that he really does know what we need. And I spent so much of my young adult Christian life thinking it was all up to me, that I had to figure it out, that I had to make it happen. And as I, like we going back to what we talked about, as I just got honest and said, yeah, this is not working well. This is, you know, I could keep up the charade, but I knew in my heart that I wasn't doing well. And to be honest about that, to to be willing to go, okay, God, this this is not. I don't want to live a lie anymore, and which I think is coming back to your your beautiful book, The Rise of the Truth Teller, and you do such a such a good job of just kind of t- walking us through owning our story, being willing to tell it like it is, and then the last part of living with holy gumption, and mm-hmm. you know, I think of that girl who's like. Living with holy gumption, I can hardly get out of bed in the morning. And, and when you describe, like, I have no, I have no resources. The resources that I used to have for an optimal life are no longer mm-hmm. present. How do mm-hmm. we do that, Ashley? How do we live with holy gumption in the middle of feeling like we're not enough, we don't have enough, and yet we don't want to be, we don't want our lack to define our life anymore. Right. Well, living with holy gumption is so powerful because it is not contingent on what you have or what you don't have or who's around you or what connections you um, are, what people you're connected to. Like that is not what living with holy gumption means. Living with holy gumption is having this fundamental understanding that I was uniquely created and you are, you have been uniquely created and you have something important to contribute to the rest of us. And we are not the same without you. And so that sense of knowing is what drives us to get out of bed. Even if the only thing we're doing is chasing toddlers all day, we can still live with holy gumption. Or even if we're like, gosh, I'm a student in school and I have no idea what I'm doing with my life, you can still get up and live with holy gumption. Or maybe you're an empty nester and you're figuring out how do I do this next season of my life? You have something to contribute to us that we so desperately need. And that's what it means to live with holy gumption. You were created to do something wonderful in this world. And it's not some big thing out there. It's this thing that's right in front of you with the people and the places and the spaces that you are in every single day. You are created uniquely to be there. And God has a reason that you're sitting in those rooms. And God has a reason that those people are sitting in front of you because you have something to give us. And it's important that you live that out. That's great. I love that. I love that. So to bring it down though, how do, because sometimes I think like I, you know, we're hearing a lot of messages about living on purpose and living with passion and find your bliss. 
And there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> sure. So, so how do I, are you just, what are you saying exactly? Are we just showing up and being available or is it something a little bit more calculated than that? Mm-hmm. I think it's both. And so, you know, if you, whatever your life is, you know, there are people that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a roommate, maybe it's a a spouse, um, a partner, whoever it is. There are people that you deal with on a daily consistent basis. Maybe it's the coworkers that you like and the ones that you can't stand. You know, maybe it's the students who are in your school, or maybe it's people in your faith community. There are folks that you're interfacing with all day, every day. And we all know that living in this world carries its own unique pressures in 2019. I mean, you cannot open up your computer or your laptop or social media and not see something that is absolutely gut-wrenching every single time you look. And so there's a reason we're all alive on the planet. God is not up in heaven going, I just didn't know this was going to happen. I'm totally freaking out about the digital age. I didn't know people were going to be becoming more polarized and living in their camps. And we have this unique, special responsibility to get up every day and, and begin to connect with humanity and begin to connect with one another in a way that is very different than the, the, the narratives we could yield ourselves to when it comes to polarization in media or judging people about their social social media, making a decision about who they are, even though we don't even really know them or letting everything else in this world pass through us, but the good shepherd that you talked about earlier. And so I think it's really important. Connection is the thing that enables us to live with holy gumption. And connection is not something that's way out there. Connection is happening in our lives every single day. And so to make it that practical, it is the people that you're around all the time. It is those folks that are in your cubicle that you don't want to acknowledge and recognize. It is paying attention in meetings and speaking up for people when they are not being heard or when you can have a voice for change. It's your responsibility to notice, to be awake, to be alive in your own life, to show up for your own life. And so I think that's that's what this means. It means, God, whatever my life is, in the seasons when I love it, in the seasons when I just would rather not, I'm going to wake up and be present in my own life. I'm going to show up in my own body and be here. And God, I'm available to you. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, Ashley, as we close, would you pray, would you just pray mm-hmm. over us that God would help us to be, like you say, be fully present, be fully alive. Yeah. Well, God, I thank you for these incredible people who are listening to this podcast, Lord. And I thank you that they are uniquely called and created by you, Lord. And I pray that as they go about their day, God, that they would hear your voice, Lord, and another's voice they would not listen to, God. Everything is vying for our attention in this world, Lord. Everything is trying to distract us from the moment that is in front of us. And I pray, God, that you would help us lean into the presence, that you would help us lean into your grace, that you'd help us lean into connection, Lord, that we would notice the people who are in front of us, God, that you would give us great courage to show up in our own lives, God, that you would help us with the relationships where we might be struggling, God, that you would help us with the pain that might be lying in our hearts that we've never dealt with, God, that you would help us with the future that seems so far away from us, Lord, that we would be able to live out our dreams and live out the purpose for which we were created. And so, God, I pray blessings and I pray great peace and I pray great grace over your people, Lord, that they would see you, know you, understand your heart for them and for others, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, how I love this message, and I love this girl's heart. I hope you heard God's voice speaking to the lies that have kept you bound. Listen, my friend, you were made to be a truth teller. He wants you to shout the truth of His power. 
power and love to redeem us and set us free from our past and all the lies that have kept us bound. I hope you'll check out Ashley's book and podcast. She has so much important stuff to share. You'll find all of the links over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash zero two nine. And hey, you guys, God's laying a lot of things on my heart lately that just might show up as bonus episodes in your podcast feed, but you'll only see them if you're subscribed. So be sure to do that on your favorite podcast player. It's easy. And those episodes are absolutely free. And while you're there, if you're enjoying these messages, I hope you'll leave a rating and a review. I read each one and they, they really encourage my heart. So until next time, sweet friend, let God get his hands on you. He wants to use you and your story. He wants to tell you the truth that he sees about you and what he's done for you. Most of all, he wants to make you a truth teller, declaring his love and his power to a waiting, watching world. And we do that best by living and loving and leading like Jesus. Can't wait to catch up with you next time. God bless.